0: Kia ora, ni hao, top of the morning, and a hearty hello to all my devoted listeners throughout this world we call Earth. Today is October 18th, 2020, and you are listening to Sam Walking in the World. This is episode 27, and fastest growing podcast in all of Knoll Top Terrace. As always, these are the thoughts of a guy who used to be unhappy, just trying to live like he wants to be when he dies. Very grateful to all of you, and thrilled as ever, to hear you once again listening to the sound of my voice. Now, uh, I got a packed episode for you today. Um, With the election coming up, and so many things happening so quickly, I do have quite a bit to talk about on the election politics. But, as always, I also have some other stuff that just happens to occur to me throughout the week that you may or may not find interesting and funny. I do. And since it's my show, I'm going to share them. Uh, First, I want to talk a little bit about a habit I've noticed, driving. I know I do this a lot, but uh, I think that people are very aware of the driving of others, and their own reactions to it. And I think we have a lot in common when it comes to driving. So um, I'm going to ask you if you've ever had this happen. Um, have you ever noticed when somebody gets angry, if you're just going faster than them in your lane? Or especially if you're at a stop sign and they happen to not notice or uh, uh, a light, a a traffic light and they happen to not notice that it changed. So you just happen to get a head start on them and they just cannot accept that. They get they get what I've come to call macho mad and they have to go flying by you because they ain't no punk. I just have no idea how that relates to their, their sense of identity that someone else is going faster than them. I actually I noticed this so much that I, I included it in, uh, in my instruction of my son's driving when I was teaching him how to drive. And he would always be worried, not always, but he would be worried, like, oh, how am I going to get in that other lane because I have to go left and I'm in the right lane, how am I going to get over there? And uh, and sometimes it would be when he was first in line, he'd be in the you know pole position, as it were. But in the right side and you had to get to the left side. And and he he would think, Okay, I'm gonna go faster than this guy. But then the macho madness would kick in and the guy next to him would go as fast as he was going. And it would be difficult to get over. And my son is not macho. He's very confident actually, practical. And so I kind of showed him one time when I was driving that if you if you accelerate, not not ridiculously fast, but Quickly, if you accelerate off the the light and the person next to you doesn't notice it or doesn't care, then you can easily get in front of them. But if they get macho mad and take off, all you have to do is slow down a little bit and then go in behind them. So one way or another, you're covered. But I just, I I don't understand what's going on in the mind of a person that just will not be gone faster than. You know, they ain't no sheep in a wolf's world. It's ridiculous. But it can be, uh, it's almost like a jujitsu. They have energy going in a certain direction, then you can recognize it and then make your move to adjust to it. And you can be perfectly fine. Just, I don't know if they know that's what's going on, the whole dynamic there. I wonder if they apply that to everything in their life. They, they can't allow themselves to be interrupted, or they can't allow a decision to be made that isn't theirs. Again, here we go. I'm I'm completely analyzing the psyche of all other drivers on the road, which I tend to do. Well, but that's that. As a promise, that was stupid. Um, here's something that's even stupider. Um, everybody knows what a butt call is now, since it, since cell phones. I think everybody knows what a butt call is. It's when you accidentally call somebody because you touch the screen of your phone oftentimes with your butt but it doesn't have to be it can be just because you were moving your phone and you accidentally or it dropped and it touched something and then accidentally called somebody i think we've all received butt calls and so you answer the phone and it's just dead air or sometimes you hear the person talking (laughs) or doing something that's embarrassing but sometimes it's just dead air and you go oh and then maybe they'll realize it later after you hang up, they'll realize that they had a, a call out and they didn't mean to, so they'll send you a text message or something that says butt call, or you call them back and they say, Oh, sorry, I, I didn't I didn't mean to call you, it was just a butt call. But I've in, I've experienced something even newer recently, and that is a butt callback. Um I butt called somebody. And then I told them that I butt-called them. And then they still wanted to talk. Then I was like, uh, it was a friend. And that's somebody I talked to from time to time. But I called them accidentally. So I, I didn't really have anything to, to talk to them about. And since I initiated the butt-call... And they called back. It was a, it was as though the onus was still upon me to think of something to talk about because I originally called them, but by accident. So what do you do in a butt callback? I was like, uh, well, you know, I, I, I accidentally called you. I was just flipping around my phone and I was on my contacts and I, I must have just hit the call button by accident. And he was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no problem. I do that all the time. So what's up? And I was like, uh, I'm not prepared for this. Uh, so I was like, I don't know. what uh, this is. something you, you want to talk about? And he was like, well, I don't know. You call me. I was like, <laughs> I was like all right. Um, and then I had to flip through my mental Rolodex really quickly for things we have in common. And it was a completely uh, kind of phony conversation. <laughs> It was quite embarrassed. It was like back in high school when you had to make, you had to write down a list of things that you might potentially talk about when you called the girl because the purpose was just to call the girl, and uh, and you had to make sure that you had another thing to talk about so there wouldn't just be dead air. When really the point was just to be on the phone with them, and I got the sense that that was what uh, Carlos, his name was Carlos. That's what kind of Carlos wanted was to just be on the phone. But i felt pressure because i was the initiator it's like always on the initiator it's kind of like the way i say when you're arguing with somebody that you usually want to be in the position of being argued to that way you can either accept or reject the person's promise it's kind of the same way with with a conversation on the phone someone calls you it isn't on you to come up with what you're going to talk about you can just kind of respond but anyway what callbacks also stupid um, I noticed uh, this in the news. Uh, um, COVID obviously is still in full swing. Um, I have a feeling though that it is going to be begin to go away. Um, I think the vaccine is definitely on the way. When well, the New York Times is saying that that we're coming up to to the you know turning point, uh, I, I think that we can believe it because I think they would actually probably root for it not to go away till the election at least anyway. But in the news, I saw that um, University of Iowa college students were caught trying to catch COVID so they could then recover from it, have the antibodies, and sell their plasma to make money. And I thought, you know what? That's not as far-fetched as you might think. But still, it kills me that they would they would go to that length. that might, might kill some of them. <laughs> but I don't know how they're going to crack down on that. Um, it might even be helpful in a weird way. But I hope uh, I hope none of them end up getting hurt. Um, I'm going to get to some language stuff in a moment, uh, but first I'm going to take a break and get a drink of water, and I'll be right back.
1: Talk to that talks a lot here. Today's topic is Dak Prescott's horrifying ankle injury. I just want to send out prayers to Dak Prescott because no one deserves to get their ankle snapped like that. That was brutal, and I hope he can recover from that injury. But then Andy Dalton comes in and clutches up. The dude, the dude who can't throw at all clutches up. And he throws a deep bomb, caught, and then that sets up a field goal for the one against the Giants. I'm re- I'm just gonna say say that that was pretty amazing, and that I just want Dak. I just want to send out praise to Dak and his family, and I want him to have an early recovery from that brutal injury of his.
0: Welcome back to Sam Walking the World, episode 27. That message was, of course, brought to you by my longtime friend and partner, The Milkman. Okay, I'm going to get into some language stuff, but this is kind of a mix of two things that ended up occurring to me at the same time. So I'm going to give them to you the way I thought them, and I hope that it makes sense. First, I used to hate talking to old guys who can't hear well. But now I like it. Um, I'll try to explain why. There are two custodians at the place that I work, uh, the school I teach at. Let's just call them Joe and Tom. They're both older guys. And um, for, uh, here's where it gets a little weird. At this point, I want to interject and, and mention how the Webster's, people at, at Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, Changed the term "sexual preference" to include that it is uh, discriminatory. On the same day that Amy Coney Barrett was criticized for using it, say that again. She was asked about her views on on sexual preference as it relates to discriminating against gay people um, by by the Senate. I forget which senator, and it might have been that woman from Hawaii. Um, but she was asked about and, and Amy Coney Barrett used the word sexual, uses the term sexual preference. And the senator implied that it had um, a negative connotation, that it was bigoted. And on the same day, since Webster's dictionary had it as a definition that did not include that negative connotation, they immediately changed it. That is crazy. The idea that the definition of the word would follow what someone wants it to mean, rather than it meaning what the definition is. That's how politically correct and and one-sided so much of the media is. Now, apparently, it includes the Webster's Dictionary. But anyway, it got me thinking about how words can just change like that and and if you're caught behind the curve, you are insensitive or you are bigoted. When your intention the whole time was to not be, you know, to not have a negative connotation. But then they change the word on you really quick and then you're stuck having a negative connotation. And it got me thinking about the custodians at school. I call them custodians now. We're supposed to call them custodians. Not supposed to call them janitors. <laughs> And uh, it's just funny how janitor became custodian. I remember when it happened, and I think some people still say janitor. And they don't mean any, any ill intent. It's, it's still a, their idea of the description of a person who does the job of a fill-in-the-blank custodian, I guess. But now I notice sometimes when I'm looking at websites, at, so I, I think it's on our own website too, but I recall it at several of the other schools that I taught at. It's no longer custodian, now it's grounds supervisor. Or supervisor of grounds. It's from janitor to custodian to supervisor of grounds. And it's just a confusing evolution of these politically correct names and everything. Grounds to supervisor. <laughs> we can't give you a raise, but we are going to promote you to supervisor. Now, your qualifications don't warrant that we assign you to supervise any people, per se. But you will be supervisor of all of the ground. Poor guy's carrying his new nameplate back out to the shed. (laughs) He's like, hey, where's my desk? Boss is like, oh, no, no, you don't have a desk, but we did spring for a new shovel. (laughs) Uh, It just illustrates the ridiculousness. Anyway, I'm sorry. That one got away from me. Um, But as I was saying, I love talking to old, practically deaf guys now. Or ladies. It's so easy. Conversations may be loud, right? Because you got to shout in order for them to hear you. But they're also quick and easy. There's no BSing. You can't afford to at the top of your lungs. You know? it's just not really possible if you give an example if you ever had to repeat a nonsense chat comment even louder you're already shouting it and they still sometimes can't hear you so you gotta shout it even louder like you feel ridiculous yeah it is harder to get out of bed on mondays anybody nearby is like why in the world is that guy yelling that So, now I mostly just use hand gestures, like a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and then I'll look at my watch, and since they're good janitors, custodians, groundskeepers, they usually end up heading back to whatever it was they were doing before. They're busy, and they're both awesome at their jobs. Our building is immaculate. There's always brand new garbage bags. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm just apologizing for criticizing. So, I will move on. Um... Here is another thing. Before I get into politics, and this is sort of kind of politics too, but uh, I noticed a paradox on on the left side of the political spectrum, and it is this. Um, uh, Getting back to Amy Coney Barrett being criticized for saying sexual preference, the idea behind that criticism of her was that it suggested people choose whether or not they're going to be gay. I prefer to be gay. Whereas, I think most thinking people, and this is where I might offend some of my conservative listeners, but I think most thinking people, and I can be wrong, maybe they don't, but I do, I believe that people are born that way. Heterosexual or homosexual. I don't think that a person, especially a, a, a gay person, would prefer to take all of the ostracizing that they end up getting for for having to you know come out and admit who they are be much easier to just go along with what is the societal norm so it's really hard for me to believe that someone is choosing their sexual orientation i believe god made us all the way he made us it's it's his intention is for us all to be free not to mention that there are homosexual populations in every species So if God guy made a mistake, he made a big one. But I don't believe it's a mistake. I think people are born the way they are, and variation is the spice of life. But getting back to what I was saying, people don't choose their sexual orientation. So, So Amy Coney Barrett was accused of suggesting that they do by saying sexual preference. And I myself do find it kind of a confusing term because the word preference is in there. But what I think people usually mean, and and many people have used this term, Joe Biden has used this term, Uh, my my parents have used this term, sexual preference, I think they mean once it's given that your sexual orientation is X or Y, well, then that defines what you prefer sexually or, you know, romantically, however you want to put it. And so I, I, I guess you could say that you don't prefer it, it's automatic. But in a sense, you do prefer it because you could say to a person, uh, you know, if I was out and about and a gay man was attracted to me, which has happened, um, because I'm neat and uh, articulate. I'm just kidding. And uh, I would say, I'm sorry, I prefer women. It's just it seems like a polite way to say I'm not gay. But anyway, before I get too far out in the weeds on this one, here's the paradox. Right? We're all born the way we are, and the world has an obligation to accept us that way. But in today's political environment, one can choose to be whatever gender they want. It's called gender identity. And it's now commonly held that society has to accept that choice. So I don't understand how it's its not a choice whether or not you're gay, but it is a choice whether or not you're male or female. I mean, I don't get it. And honestly, you know what? I'm willing to go along with whichever thing people want in order to be happy, but I, I feel like the more convoluted it gets, the harder it is to know clearly what it is. If a person can just Despite biology, be a different gender, then where do they get off suggesting how rude it is for someone to believe that someone might be choosing their sexual orientation? I don't believe they can, but if they can't do that, I've got to think that that it's not possible to choose your gender. I know I'm offending a lot of people, and, I, and I'm okay with someone choosing their gender. But like I feel like if you flip that switch and you can change your gender, then it, it must be within the realm of possibility that someone could change their orientation. Now I, now I know I'm offending people. But I just don't understand it. I would love for someone to enlighten me on that. Not that I even have I dug my heels in on a position. I just don't understand it. And I feel like just my, my brain tends toward logic. And I, I, I use, you know, rationality to make sense of my world. And, and things just, X can't be X and be Y. Otherwise, there's a dragon in my garage. Those of you who have listened before understand what I'm talking about. All right, now, I have a gigantic chunk of political stuff to talk about. From the um, Amy Coney Barrett hearings to the, uh, the dueling town hall. Um events held by the President and by Joe Biden, uh, one with George Stephanopoulos and the other with, oh my God, I can't think of her name right now. Um, You all know who I'm talking about, though. Um, And then uh, just some specific topics that were discussed, the Green New Deal, the Green New New Deal, and I think what you have to call Joe Biden's version of the Green New New Deal, which is the Green New 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 Deal. What the differences are in there. We'll talk a little bit about how Trump speaks in simple terms. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But overall, it doesn't really bother me. I'll get into all of that and more after I take this short break.
1: Hi, this is a great podcast. Everybody should listen to it.
0: Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, Episode 27. That message was brought to you by my good friend. Hayden, a man in a boy's body. Now, moving on to politics. Um, i want to talk for a second about undecided voters. I forget what show it was, but I, I was watching a show where they had four um, supposedly undecided voters from some swing state. I think they did different swing states on different episodes, but and they would interview these four people about what it was that was going to determine their vote. And I just, it baffles me. I talked in an earlier episode about how a lot of people just have a complete disconnect between their political views, like their, their election opinions or intentions, and the, and the, the workings of their daily lives. Like I just I I don't understand how a person could not know, especially this close to the election, who they're going to vote for, what it means for their life. It tells me they're you know they're probably not paying attention. You know it's almost like election season is like football season. It comes around like ah, I kind of like the Bears, but I don't know if they have enough of a running game, and I think their coach is uh, homophobic and. uh So, I don't know. They won last year. I'd like to see something different. And, like, you know, and that's all fine and good when it comes to football because it actually doesn't have a string tied to your life. But politics, they ought to know, does. And maybe not presidential politics, but, but, you know, legislation matters. The Supreme Court matters. The Constitution matters. I mean, maybe they don't need to know it does, and they they can go about their life because enough other people do, you know, the informed voters. And I guess what I'm getting to is I feel like that's what they are. Listening to them t- discuss their thought processes, I, it, it, it leads me to believe that they don't have any, you know, like, what have you been thinking about for the last four years? And all of a sudden they tune in. And I think people like to be considered undecided because it puts them in this great position of significance and importance and relevance. We are going to decide the election. I hope not. And actually, I don't even believe that they do. I believe turnout does. You know, there, there are people who, uh, like I said, some people say we're, we're a divided country. I say we are a balanced country. And something tips the balance. And I don't think it's the undecided voters in the middle. I think it's a bunch of hogwash. I think it's turnout that wins elections. And I think um, the people that are on the side that is um, less confident or less enthusiastic or don't see as much of a connection to, to how their life is going to be lived that they that they need to try and get this guy out of power or, or not make make sure that guy doesn't get elected I think I think they just tend to turn out less and I think what happens with the undecided voters is they try to predict up until the last minute who it looks like is going to win and then they bandwagon um, but in this election it's going to be very interesting because I believe because I know I know this because I am one, I believe there are many, many Trump voters who just will not tell you they're Trump voters. And the media created this climate where it's, you know, it's so taboo to say that you are. You immediately become all the things they accuse Trump of. You become racist. You become a white supremacist. And and uh, <laughs> you just, why would anybody want to say out loud that they're conservative? It would take so long to articulate to somebody unwilling to listen why you want lower taxes and less confiscatory regulation, why you want the Constitution to be preserved and not changed due to political passions of the day, why you think that there should be a a free and fair media doing their job, not in the tank for one candidate or another, or at least have it all be wide open and free. All that stuff, whatever it is that ends up making you conservative, fiscally conservative, socially conservative, whatever it is, it, it just takes way too long to explain to somebody who would rather just pigeonhole you as a white supremacist. And I think sometimes now people are even even doing it for sport. They're just intentionally hiding the fact so that the, the, that hidden number of people will be enormous when the polls come out. I think they even lie in exit polls. look will out of the, the polling center, someone will ask who they voted for to do an exit poll, and they'll say Biden, when they really voted for Trump. But the media did this to themselves by creating a climate where you can't be honest without being accused of something. So, And then the media ends up being shocked that their, that their um, predictions were off, that their polls were off, you know, that Trump won in 2016, they were completely shocked. They, they invented their polls, believed their polls, published their polls, and it was all false. I mean, it was helped along by the fact that people were hiding the fact that they were Trump voters, but I, I don't know how any informed, honest person can't see that dynamic happening, and I think it's going to happen again. Just it, it just feels like it when you see rallies that are packed for Trump. And then you see Biden, you know, looks like he's in a parking lot at a used car dealership. But anyway, back to undecided voters. I don't get them. I don't think that they matter as much as they like to think that they do. And everyone pretends that they do. Okay, moving on. Uh, I saw the interview. I don't know if you saw the interview with Nancy Pelosi on Wolf Blitzer. And he was asking her questions about why she won't sign the next stimulus bill so that all these people can get their, I don't know what, $1,200. And businesses will get some rescue funding so they don't have to close. Um, and, you know, all, all the other stuff that people were happy to get. I myself don't get any of it. Um, but I'm very happy for people that do. But anyway, she was asked by Wolf Blitzer, Why didn't you sign this? You know, you have an idea of how big this package should be, all the goodies that you think should be in it, and Trump has a, a shaved down version because he doesn't want to just supply you with, with you know, municipal bailouts and other things, and 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 Wolf was saying, well, he's come he's come a long long way toward your direction. He's willing to kind of meet you halfway, and just for the sake of getting all the all the money in these people's hands that need it so badly. Is it even in your city of San Francisco, um, why why wouldn't you just sign this? And she accused Wolf Blitzer of being a right-wing apologist. Wolf Blitzer is a right-wing apologist. That's like calling Rosie O'Donnell Rush Limbaugh. I mean, honestly, Nancy, how rigged a media do you need? Do you need every single person to agree with you and not question you? It appears to be that 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 is the case that must be what it's like to live in a san francisco political bubble it's just i don't know how i don't know how even democrats even liberals can notice that about her and they may just say you know like people do with trump they say well you know what i'm going to take all the all the crappy stuff because i believe in whatever the policies are but i I don't know how do you believe in this policy i mean Honestly, don't you think she should sign it? as you liberals out there, if there are any. <laughs> um, but God, she was melting down, and it was really fun to watch. That's what I have to say about that. Now, alright, to the larger things. The Washington Post posted an article on, I believe, Wednesday. It was, the, what, it was October 14th, I with a headline that said, The fact that Amy Coney Barrett is a strong woman does not make her a feminist icon. The fact that she's a strong woman does not make her a feminist. And I just, I, I think of how this definition of feminism has been just warped. Oh, like many things. I think that this, this, Hyper-liberalism is like a magnet, and it pulls all definitions toward it and bends them to the point where you can't even recognize the origin of the idea anymore, like feminism. I, I thought it meant women, empowering women, showing women that they can, they can achieve just as much as men, be just as influential as men, rise to just as great of power as men. Independence. I, what's more independent than being a sitting justice on the Supreme Court? But again, feminist has become, it looks like, the exclusive domain of the left. Kind of much the same way racism is exclusively reserved for the right. Originally, Women of all political persuasions were united as feminists, like in the 70s. At least that's the way I understood it. I believe there were conservative feminists. They were against unequal treatment. They were against sexual harassment. It was something they could all agree on. It was women for women first. Democrat women for Democrat women second, if at all. Now it seems to be Democrat women for Democrat men. Even sexual harassers, Clinton, Epstein, Weinstein. Democrat women against conservative women. That's the one that gets me. Democrat feminists for, for, for liberal men and, and Democrat feminists against conservative women even if they're strong, successful women, like Amy Coney Barrett. It's it's, it's glaring. The one thing that prevents her from being a feminist is that she's conservative, maybe because she's Catholic. I I don't even know how they're connected, but everything seems to be about political persuasion now. And the Democrats have, they, they will have succeeded, I think, in marginalizing so many things. Like I, I feel like they've marginalized. Democrats have marginalized the blackness of a black Supreme Court justice, Clarence Thomas. His primary identifier to them isn't that he's African American; it's that he's conservative, and that's bad. It doesn't matter that he's a conservative on the on the highest court in the land, and what a signal that is to other African Americans. Just like it doesn't matter that Amy Coney Barrett is a woman in the highest court of the land because she's conservative. It's so obvious. It's so obvious. And what it does is it it eliminates what ought to be iconic figures. But apparently, according to the Washington Post, she is not a feminist icon. On this same topic... Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about court packing. Apparently, court packing is not court packing. This is another definition that's gone by the wayside. It used to mean to add seats to the Supreme Court. In other words, to make it so there's more than nine. For obvious reasons, you're not getting what you want out of them as a political party, so you add them when you have the legislature and the presidency, so then it will swing in your direction when major decisions end up being made. But that was not the intention of the Supreme Court in the Constitution. It is not the intention. It's supposed to be a co-equal, independent branch. Yes, it is affected by the political leanings of those who appoint them, but that is a reflection of the will of the people. Just because you don't like that particular will at that particular time it doesn't mean that you ought to deconstruct the Constitution. That's how fascism happens. From either side. And the media just I swear the media is the bane of our existence right now. And it's like this, it's like this double helix. The social media is a reflection of what people believe, and people believe what they do because of what they see in the actual media. And then it gets recycled through social media again and uh, and i think the only the only savior to all this is people who actually connect their values to their politics and i just thank god right now there are enough of them i wish there were more of them so if you're out there and you haven't done it yet please plug it in but um so as i was saying supreme court packing used to mean Adding seats, like adding a tenth justice, an eleventh justice, a twelfth justice. Now, according to the left, it seems to mean to simply fill vacant seats on the Supreme Court with with judges that they don't like. I imagine it wouldn't be court packing if if the, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg's replacement was a, a liberal justice like Elaine uh, Kagan or Sotomayor. <laughs> it's just funny. It's just funny. Um so Joe Biden was asked whether or not he'd be in favor of adding justices. And among other things he said right, among other things he said, I've already spoken on that. And I was thinking to myself, did he? Because I don't really have a clear idea of what his opinion is about it right now, which I have to conclude, I have to presume his opinion is that he would add them. Because it would be the obvious thing to not say would be that you would add them. It would be if, if you were against adding them, you would that would be seem to be the obvious thing to say. Um, especially since people have already begun to vote. And he's telling them to vote. He's telling them, vote, please vote. I'll get more into that later. But he said he's already spoken on that. I researched it and and w- what he said turns out to be true. He did speak on it sometime previous to the interview. He said, and I quote I've already spoken on that. So I look back even further and finally I found where he actually did speak on the idea of court packing. And it was in 1983 when he was speaking at a hearing when he was the chairman of the judiciary committee of all things. And he said it's a bonehead idea. He was talking about FDR when he was planning on doing it or at least attempting to do it. and. Joe Biden called it a bonehead idea. How times have changed. I guess. I guess they're going to change even more. I hope the Constitution doesn't change with them. It's supposed to be timeless. Ah, I I think I need another break. (laughs) When I get back, I'm going to talk about the dueling town hall meetings uh, of Joe Biden. uh, On, uh, I believe, ABC and... uh, Trump on NBC, which is being excoriated for giving him such a platform. How dare them give the sitting president of the United States a platform weeks before the election? What do they think this is? I'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 27. That message was brought to you by the Milkman. Now, Savannah Guthrie, that was her name. I remember she used to be on MSNBC. I don't know if she still is, but she tacked pretty hard to the left. Anyway, Savannah Guthrie is the one who um, was running the town hall meeting with uh, President Trump. And it was a lot less of a town hall meeting than it was a debate. He was basically debating her. And her two most important concerns seemed to be COVID and how the handling of it was poor and his fault. And uh, why he won't condemn white supremacists for the 250th time. Um, whereas Joe Biden was having a cup of tea with George Stephanopoulos, former advisor to Bill Clinton, and also a known leftist. Um, who, who apparently is considered mainstream because I think he's on NBC or ABC. He's, he's on one of the major networks. But he is apparently right in the middle. Remember, I I talked before about how people pick up the whole political spectrum and move it so they appear to be in the middle. And that tends to be what people who watch it, who are uninformed, consider the middle, and they want to be considered the middle, so they go along with it. But anyway, um, I'm going to take a second and make some comparisons between these two. First, let me get into what they were about. Um, in Joe Biden's town hall with George Stephanopoulos on ABC. Here is what I got from that. Biden will not say whether or not he's for core packing. I have to give Stephanopoulos credit for at least bringing that up. Now, in the midst of the news cycle, which is dominated by uh, information about Joe Biden's son, Hunter, and uh, emails that were packed and uh, and distributed um, showing in pretty good detail how suspicions were uh, suspicions of, of Hunter Biden using his influence as the son of Joe Biden to accrue wealth particularly with foreign nations is 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 and has been ongoing um, um uh, <laughs> Oddly, though, it was blocked by Twitter. People were trying to spread this New York Post story that, that, that broke the story, and Twitter was preventing them from, from sharing it. And they didn't really have any reason why they were doing it. Now, the presumptive reason is obvious. It's that they didn't want three weeks from an election for there to be a, a, a lot of bad breaking news regarding corruption as it relates to Biden and his son. Um, but then they ended up apologizing and saying that it was a communications error. Communications error by the preeminent communications company in the country. Hard to believe. But anyway, uh, Stephanopoulos did, uh, di- didn't did ask a single question about that. I mean, it was all over the news. He didn't even bring it up as a way of allowing Biden to to debunk it. Because maybe he, he knew that there, it would not be possible. And there would not be a credible debunking. So he just completely ignored it. Completely ignored the main news of the day that's relevant to a person's character. and And, you know, level of corruption moving into an election. Just didn't even bother. Or actually, I should say, he bothered to not bring it up. But at least he brought up the question of whether or not Joe Biden is for packing the Supreme Court should Amy Coney Barrett be affirmed, which they're calling packing the court now. Apparently filling, like I said before, filling a vacant seat in the court when you have control of the Senate and the presidency is now called packing the court. At the same time, they're they're considering, it looks like they're likely to, or at least in favor of the idea of actually packing the court which is to say adding more justices, not just filling empty seats. I hope this is not the first time some of you out there are hearing this. I, I doubt you are, though, because you've listened to the show and you're probably a thinking human being. Um, so anyway, Stephanopoulos asked him whether or not he was in favor of packing the Supreme Court, and Biden continues to give this same answer. He says, whichever answer I give will be a headline in the paper tomorrow. And and that would that would be a distraction from what we ought to be talking about, which is Donald Trump's failure to handle COVID and Donald Trump's failure to condemn white supremacists. All the way back to the, the debunked hoax about fine people on both sides in Charlottesville. He's still keeping that alive. It's got five five Pinocchios and, um, I don't know, sort of real clear politics or whatever one people trust. Joe Biden's still bringing it up. And it's like, it reminds me how how invested Biden seems to be in an uninformed electorate or a misinformed electorate in order to get elected. That just tells me that what he actually has to offer isn't something that he wants to talk about. And again, all these political opinions are just my opinions. But so whichever answer I give, that'll be a headline tomorrow. But he doesn't want to answer the question. He doesn't want his answer in the headlines. Because then, apparently, everyone will know what it is. Right? When something is a headline, everyone knows what it is. He doesn't want it to be a headline. He doesn't want everyone to know what it is. So what's the problem there? The problem, in what Joe means, but can't say, is that whichever answer he gives will please half of his base and completely alienate the other half. Let me explain. The far left, the... uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders left, the defund the police left, the one that wants the, Bernie Sanders to play a crucial role in, in constructing um, Biden's domestic policy, financial policy, um, his policy as it relates to health care, his po- policy as it relates to the environment. Like I said, the, uh, the ACA, the Green New Deal, defund the police, basically socialism. That group wants to pack the court. So if he says he doesn't want to do it, or is not going to do it, he alienates them because they want power at any cost. Damn the Constitution. The other half is the moderate Democrats who still believe in the Constitution, and they still believe in the system of checks and balances. And, and they may be fewer... But I don't know. There may be just as many of them as the far left, but they're definitely less vocal. But those are, are the ones who still believe that there should be three separate autonomous branches of government, and they don't want to see the Supreme Court fundamentally changed into another political animal. If he says that he's going to pack the Supreme Court, he alienates them. So the reason he doesn't want it to headline is because then people will know. And that I think that speaks to the... The legitimacy of his position. So, but, but what Joe also can't say is that he's thrilled that so many people have voted early. Again, uninformed of his position. He's encouraging people to vote before he informs them. Think about that. Before he makes his position on the SCOTUS known. And so when pressed by the issue by Stephanopoulos, who, who again asked the question, I got him credit for this. He said, don't the people deserve to know? And I think he did it because Biden had previously said the people don't deserve to know. He said it really quickly, kind of a blurred it when he was answering a question when he was pressed and he was flustered. And I think Stephanopoulos wanted to give him a chance to revisit that and say, yes, they do deserve to know. But then, of course, he wasn't going to answer the question. He's in such an untenable position untenable that's a new vocabulary word I introduced to in my eighth graders. It just means not sustainable. So to which to which Biden said they do they do have a right to know And then Stephanopoulos asked Biden explicitly if he would make his position known by election day and and Biden said yes no again, that begs the question why not just say it right now? So, out of one side of his mouth, Biden is telling everyone to vote. He says it every time he's in front of a microphone: vote, 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 vote. And then, when he's asked what his position is on packing the Supreme Court, he says he'll tell you on election day. Pretty. The irony is pretty obvious. So he says, "Vote now! Vote now! Before I have to come clean." Is that amazing? Which is more important? I'm going to ask this. Considering the two the two town halls, which is more important? Trump's 200th answer to the question about whether or not he disapproves of white supremacy or Biden's first answer to whether or not he plans to undermine an entire branch of government. Trump's 200, 200th answer on white supremacy or Biden's first answer on fundamentally changing the Constitution. And then you can tell which one I think is more important. And also, vote now before my son is indicted for selling influence for cash, of which I get my VIG. So vote now, because who knows, I might be pressured into having to admit that. I want all the votes I can tabulated before that. Talk about needing an uninformed electorate. So what? But here's, here's the thing, too. What really got me was his explanation during this town hall. His explanation about why he said he's not a fan. He's trying to walk the line. I'm not a fan of it. When someone says they're not a fan of it, it's clear that they're not going to rule it out. Right? It's not a it's not a a, a full-throated condemnation of anything. You know, be like if if they asked Trump whether or not he condemns white supremacists and he said he's not a fan, I'm not a fan of neo-Nazis. Do you condemn them? Hey, I said I'm not a fan. Please. So what, what does that mean? You're ambivalent? I'm not a fan, but, you know, depending on how things go, I might support white supremacists. And you know the left would immediately infer that. Trump said he wasn't a fan. They would say, oh, well, well, what, what, sounds like you are. Why won't you just say that you hate them? They'll never make that inference for for Biden. We do, but they won't. So, just, it's amazing. It's amazing. So Trump, again, had to, for the 250th time, condemn white supremacists. But they'll probably still ask him. Apparently, I bet he's still not unequivocal enough. But but Biden's perfectly okay not giving us an answer on changing the entire constitution. Well, not the entire constitution, but in a way, it kind of would. We'd have two political branches of government, and and I'll I'll, I'll get more into that in a second. But something something Alexander Hamilton said about the Supreme Court and its autonomy and why it's so important, and w- at which point we would know it isn't even needed anymore It should be abolished. So, but but back back to the reason B- Biden gave why he's not a fan of court packing. He said, because it would go back and forth, this is a quote, he said, because it would go back and forth depending on who wins and it would not stay within what is manageable. Because it would go back and forth depending on who wins and it would not stay within what is manageable. I know what he means. He means whichever party had the the Senate and the presidency would add more. And then if they lost an election, the other side would add more. And eventually, it would just become a super Congress. And, and it would become, I guess, what he considers to be unmanageable. I, guess, I I, think by that he means the other side might have it. The other side might win, and then they would add more, and then they would have control of the Supreme Court. We, we can't have that. We would not be able to manage it then. Which is ridiculous explanation for a man that's been in the United States government and taken an oath to, to defend the Constitution of the United States. For this person... To say the reason why we shouldn't pack the court. or No, no. He didn't say we shouldn't pack the court. He said he's not a fan. The reason why he's not a fan is because it would go back and forth and it wouldn't be what is manageable. That's not the reason. How about because it destroys an entire pillar of the framework of the Constitution? How about that? Not that it wouldn't be manageable. Of course it wouldn't be manageable. It's not intended to bounce back and forth politically. It does sway... And that's part of elections having consequences. So, of course, the Supreme Court, if you win elections and you get the Senate, you get to appoint them. But then they are autonomous. That's why they have life terms. That's why they're not elected. I think this this fact is just completely lost on some people. When the other side wins, whichever side they are, when the other side wins and they appoint justices, they have the Senate. They get confirmed. They hate it. But that's the rules of the game. The answer is not to shoot the referee, because then if the other, if the other side cheats better than you, then they're going to win. It's going to end up in war. We have a Constitution so that we don't need to have violence to solve our problems. But I bet it would deteriorate to violence. So he's acknowledging the court would essentially be turned into another political branch. And this is where I get to Alexander Hamilton. He pointed out emphatically that it would no longer be needed and ought to be eliminated if it became a political branch. Without an independent Supreme Court, impervious to the passions of the day. That's what Hamilton said. Impervious to the passions of the day. Right now, I feel like the left is completely passion drunk. So much so that they would allow the Constitution itself to be destroyed. And that—that's not an understatement. I really believe this is possible. I never thought it, and I feel like a conspiracy theorist, and a, I'm like I'm paranoid, but it—it it, it seems to be unfolding right in front of me. It would just become—we become a banana republic. Be, anything goes for whichever party wins the presidency and the Senate. There would be nothing to prevent the unconstitutionality of laws. Think about that. If Democrats can't win by the rules, they shoot the referee. It's so short-sighted. Like I used to say with my my stepson when I was playing knee basketball with him, and he would have a real, real hard time losing. And if it looked like he was going to lose in a little basketball game, he would cheat. And I had to sit him down and explain to him. What I would do if he did that, what I would do is I would just stop playing. Because I knew how badly he wanted to play. And I was able to drive this point home to him, which he still holds to this day in his dealings in his life. You have to want to play a little bit more than you want to win. You have to want to play fair, fairly, more than you want to win. You want to win badly, and it's cool. It's good. You want to win badly. But you want to play fairly just a little bit more. Otherwise, you don't really get to play the way you like to play. There would be no more winning. It would all be cheating. He gets it. I see him I see him applying it to his life. I'm kind of proud of myself, actually, for having the presence of mind at the time. But this is so short-sighted. Should they lose elections, they'll be at the mercy of the Republican tyrannical majority. right? So you can see how there will be an impulse then to hold power, to be one-party power. And that, I'm telling you, is how fascism creeps in creeps in with one side's good intentions and a little bit too much power. And then all we would do is toggle between cheating tyrannies. That is what I have to say about that. I'll get to the Green New Deal and the New New Deal and the New 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 Deal right after this break. (coughs) Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 27. That message was brought to you by Milkman. Nice to see that his goat impression is coming along nicely. Hard to even tell the difference. Okay, back to the dueling town halls. Actually, mostly just about the Biden town hall. The tea party he was having with George Stephanopoulos. Would you like some more sugar? Oh, no, no, thank you, Joe. Uh, Anyway, another question that Stephanopoulos asked Biden Another question which he can't afford to answer, for the same reason he can't take a position on the Supreme Court, is uh, his his position on the Green New Deal. Now, again, his leftist base—the Ocasio Cortez, Bernie Sanders—we want a utopia, even though we have no idea how to do it. Part of his base, um, they they are they, they were instrumental. In, in writing this platform that, that is written directly on Joe Biden's website it says the Green New Deal is a crucial framework that's a quote a crucial framework for for determining his domestic policy especially his energy policy so Stephanopoulos asked him he said are you or are you not in favor of the Green New Deal and actually it's now it's the Green New New Deal so I guess it was even even more, even too radical for them, I, I guess. they When they discovered that Infinity Stones were actually a fictional creation and only applicable in the Marvel Universe, they realized they had to find some other power source to power their utopia. Um, so it still looks like they're pounding wind and solar. And I don't know what giant magnets maybe will be next. Anything but fossil fuels. And don't get me wrong; I understand that fossil. I w- I would prefer um, uh, an energy source that has absolutely no pollution, like maybe say uh, nuclear energy. But again, this is the same party that's that's eliminating nuclear power plants because sometimes there are accidents, like the one that happened in Japan. And then there's radiation, and people get hurt. You know, I think I think people get hurt. No matter what, sometimes. It might just be time to take the mature position of understanding that life has a risk. And ultimately life is finite, at least on this planet. Anyway, but we can't have that in a utopia. So we have to either either find some infinity stones or or just let the economy tank. When we eliminate fossil fuels. So anyway, Stephanopoulos asked him if he's in favor of, if, if he supports the Green New New Deal, like it says in his website. Is, there, is it or isn't it a crucial framework for his domestic energy policy? And it, it, to this question, he he's going to alienate one side of his base. Yes to the answer, if he supports the Green New New Deal, pleases the AOC disciples But it scares the crap out of sane people. It scares the crap out of working people in Pennsylvania and Ohio and West Virginia. So, you know, it's, 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 but, but to say that he doesn't is unacceptable to the radicals. So he's caught again. He has to, he has to not answer the question in order to try and get as many people he can from both parts of his base. unless i'm wrong about this somebody you know what call me there's a link on my website educate me if i'm wrong about this be happy to to enter into a back and forth but as far as i can tell the information that's available there are there there are crucial questions that biden cannot answer cannot afford to answer he can but his answer is going to please half his group and, and displease the other half so when he was asked about the green new new deal um, he says that it's it's something that he's considering, but that he's it's the Biden plan that he's really going to go by. And then they got down to the details. And here here are the differences between the Biden plan, which I guess you could call the Green New 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 Deal, and the Green New New Deal, as it's written on his website, is is this. I'll, I'll get to it in one second. But the New New Deal has a stated goal of eliminating All fossil fuel-based energies by 2030. I don't know if they know that this is 2020. And 10 years is a very short amount of time. As I talked about in a previous episode. We get that all gasoline, jet fuel, natural gas, bye-bye fracking in 10 years. That's the Ocasio-Cortez wing's idea of what's possible. Are, are, I, 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 I don't even know what to say. Really? Do they really think it? I mean, even Joe thinks that's impossible. He agrees that we need to get there by 2050. 30 years, we're going to completely eliminate all fossil fuels in every way. But he says that we need a a transitional period. That's a quote. Transitional period. So he thinks by 2035 15 years away we're going to eliminate fossil fuels as a source of energy production. Whatever that means. So maybe we'll still be able to use it for other, other purposes but not for general energy production. I guess for like eating houses maybe for for the production of electricity in general I, i'm not even sure what that means but he still allows for some uses of fossil fuel maybe jets maybe i don't know i don't know what but he for for energy production he says we're going to get rid of it. i don't know i don't know how he thinks we're going to produce energy i thought all power production counted as energy production including powering cars Powering blenders, powering your garage door opener. So I, I don't even know how we're going to heat houses then. If, if if even just say that, say say he means by twenty thirty five we're go- we're going to eliminate the the heating and cooling of homes from from the fossil fuel category. How will we do it then? If they could be powered by solar panels, they would already be powered now. Everybody, well, maybe not everybody, but if you remember Cylindra, the government poured, poured, I think, a billion dollars into Cylindra, And it still couldn't become profitable because there isn't a market for it. It's amazing. The, the left doesn't mind having the government intervene to subsidize things that don't work. But they have a problem with people turning to something like fossil fuels rather than solar panels when it does work. There's no rhyme or reason to it. But don't worry, AOC and Bernie folks, don't worry. Joe also promises that all automobiles will be battery powered by 2035. Here's where it gets ridiculous. Where do they think the electricity is created to power the batteries in battery-powered cars? Could someone please tell me? Where? It ends up being fossil fuels. So we're going to get rid of fossil fuels as energy production, and we're going to turn all cars into battery-powered cars that run on electricity. They have to be charged with electricity. They're not perpetual motion machines. And if you want to drive at night, you can't use solar panels. So, I mean, it's just semantics. Fossil fuels will have to be used to generate electricity. Unless you want more nuclear plants, which I'm in favor of. But otherwise, how are people going to be driving around in these electric cars without electricity? I mean, am I the only one that notices that? Maybe I should invest in sales. Like S-A-I-L-S. Everyone will have sale cars. You can only drive when it's windy. Would really screw up traffic, though. But anyway, that's how Biden differs from the green new new deal. The Biden plan is the green new 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 deal. It's freaking crazy. I wonder what's going to power his website. But out on the stump, old Joe's updated the new New Deal. So he's trying to make everybody happy. And I guess if it doesn't work out, he can just try something new. And now I will turn my attention to the Donald Trump side of the dueling town halls. And um, I want to get to something about how how Donald Trump speaks in simple terms. And uh, obviously he exaggerates. Right? Obviously, he cannot back down. If you tell him to back down, then he'll probably... If you tell him to stand up for himself, then maybe he would back down because that would be backing down to you telling him to stand up. But It's kind of pathological in that way. But in another way, he speaks in very simple terms, and he doesn't have to hide what he's for. Um, I believe that anyways, but I'll, I'll get to more of that in just a moment. <laughs> Okay, welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, Episode Twenty Seven. I have bent your ear enough, but I'm going to do it a little bit more. I have one more thing to talk about, and that was um, Trump's um, "quote unquote" town hall with Savannah Guthrie. Um, and I actually thought he he requited himself pretty well. Uh, I almost think I almost prefer to see Trump in a position where he's being pressed by, um, you know, a disagreeable interviewer. Rather than a friendly interviewer, because when he has free reign, he tends to repeat himself. I, I tend to agree with most of what he says, but he tends to repeat himself. He tends to, uh, he, he, given the opportunity to elucidate, he tends to repeat himself. It's fed. Oh, that I got to yawn. Oh, oh, I love yawning. Bend my back. Oh, it feels good. My dog must like a nut. Anyway, Trump. Um, Trump speaks in really simple terms, and I posit that it is because he thinks and feels in very simple terms. He's just not a complicated person. But but my position on that is so what? You know everything is simple terms. Like it's amazing. It's tremendous, or it's horrible disastrous. He also speaks in hyperbolic terms. I think that's because his aims are extraordinarily high for himself but also for the country. you know he his dreams for himself are off the charts but look he's the president now and uh, but his his dreams are off the charts I believe for for our country as well. You got a guy who can rise like he does and, and attach himself to the country in general. No wonder the economy takes off and the black unemployment rate is lowest in history. It's like good things happen when you dream high. But he has a habit of, of doing that, saying things like uh the likes to which no one has ever seen before. Everything has to be monumental. Like groundbreaking. Like earth shattering. Like it has never been done in all of human history. (laughs) It's very lofty. But it's also very simple. You You know what else are lofty and simple? Principles. Constitutional principles. Law and order. Power back to the people. American exceptionalism. Honoring the military. Respecting the flag. Hooray white supremacy. I'm <laughs> just kidding about that one. <laughs> I can help it. Uh, these things are not complicated. Neither does a good leader have to be. So whatever you think of his intellect, um, I think it always has to be taken in consideration with his his outcomes, his uh, administrative actions. That's kind of the way I think about it. There, there are parts of him that make me laugh, too. But again, my politics are connected to my actual life. So the individual standing before me is less important to me than what will be done that affects my life. And over the last four years, my life has gotten better. My life is better than it was four years ago. I think we should all ask ourselves if that's the case. Regardless of whether or not he's a big, rude, orange man. So anyway... That is all I have for today. I hope you got a kick out of it. Um, As always, thank you very much for listening. I sincerely am grateful for that. I enjoyed doing this. Um, And so I will see you again next week.